0: a little different here in the sanctuary. I know most of you all are at home in the comforts of your your homes and everything as we're out here on this frigid, beautiful frigid day so we can still rejoice in the Lord always. Amen. Amen. All right. All right. As my uh, custom is, I always start with the first chapter of John. And I'd ask that you stand in your respective places, if you're able, if you can raise a hand in acknowledgement of God's word. I'll be reading from the first chapter, starting at verse thirty five in the text reads as follows. The next day, again, John was standing with two of his disciples. And he looked at Jesus as he walked by and said, behold the Lamb of God. The two disciples heard him say this and they followed Jesus. They followed Jesus. Let's go before the Lord in prayer. Father God, I thank you always for your grace, your mercy, the privilege that we have to open your word and allow you to speak to us. I thank you for John's example and understanding that it wasn't about him, that it was all about you. So right now, I pray, Lord, that I would decrease while you increase and your word would speak through your servant, Lord, with power and conviction. In the precious name of Jesus, we pray. Have your way right now. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. The title of today's message is Finding Purpose in the Valley. Finding Purpose in the Valley. And before I get started, I want to play a, a quick video clip. Rolling.
1: Have you ever wandered in the valley? Those moments where you feel lost, wounded, broken. You look around and see an endless journey, surrounded on all sides cut off from the surface above. The loneliness is palpable. The fear is real. But even here, God remains. For nothing can separate us from His love, Either height or depth. Here in this chasm, in the midst of the struggle, we can find peace. We can find security. We can find hope. For we are not alone. He will never leave us, and He will never forsake us. For He is God, the God of the valley.
0: Out of the valley. Find purpose in the valley. You know, life can be uh, full of peaks and valleys. And most oftentimes, we enjoy the peaks, right? We enjoy it because it's a place of comfort. Everything's going well. We're, we're operating in our God-given gifts, and everything's happening. And we look out on the horizon, and there's no trouble in sight. You know, the sun is shining and we don't even really appreciate it as much when we're at the peaks because everything's going well. Family's doing good. Bills are being paid. There's no trouble. And, you know, I was coming out of one of my clients uh, houses um, in early December and we had like a 60 degree day and I, I, I was stood outside and I raised my hands up as the sun was shining and it felt so good, those rays coming down on me. And the lady looked at me and I turned around, she looked at me and she was like, what's wrong with this dude? And I had to explain to her that I am embracing this. I'm enjoying this because I know that on a dime, the weather is gonna change, just like it did the past few days. We're in Chicago. (laughs) (laughs) Those peaks, We are in those peaks and and things are going well. But here's the thing, as pastor always says on an ordinary day, boom, try to wake everybody up. If you all are sleeping at home, (laughs) Um, boom, that we are ushered in to the valley. And you see that valley experience. It could be cold in the valley. It could be it could be discouragement in the valley. Sometimes in the valley, you're in the valley of sickness you're, you're taking all these different medications and it's supposed to fix one thing and then the side effects cause a whole nother set of problems. And you're like that hamster that's running on that wheel and you're running and running and you're getting nowhere. There's sickness sometimes in the valley. In the valley, there could be a place of financial hardship where your income is not giving you the outcome that you want. What I'm telling you is that you're not able to make ends meet and there's financial stresses in the valley. Sometimes in the valley, there's what's called grief. You lose a loved one, a dear friend, I've been in that valley and, and once, once you think you're, you're out of it, you're ushered back into it. I lost a dear friend of mine uh, last year. Just last week, I lost my West Side God mom. Her name was Cheryl, the name, same name as my mom. And when my mom passed, I told her about it. And she told me, she said, hey, now you got another mom named Cheryl. And she's gone now. She went on to be with the Lord last Sunday. And now I'm ushered back into the valley of grief. And when you lose a loved one, it's a difficult place because you're trying to figure out how to move forward. And you in you, you, every holiday, birthdays, all these, these special occasions and everything, those dates come to pass and that grief begins to come heavy, 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 heavy on you. There's grief sometimes in the valley. In the valley, also, there could be family conflict. And we're going to look at that today as we open up God's word. That could be family conflict in the valley where the relationship is so strained that there's no communication. You're not even talking. You can't even fathom a pathway in terms of reconciling the relationship and that family conflict in the valley. So what we want to look at this morning, we want to look at an individual by the name of Joseph and his valley experience and how God used all of those, those valley experiences that he went through to prepare him to do a mighty work for the kingdom. So if you have your Bibles, you can open them to uh, Genesis chapter 37. If you have your your word, you can open it there. I'm going, it's it's a heavy story. So bear with me, I'm going to be starting at verse two. And it says this, I'll be reading from there. It says, these are the generations of Jacob, Joseph being 17 years old, was pasturing the flock with his brothers. He was a boy with the son of Bilhah, Zephi, his father's wives, and Joseph brought a bad report of of them to their father. Now Israel loved Joseph more than any of his other son, any of his sons, because he was a son of his old age. He made him a robe of many colors. But when 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 his brothers saw that their father loved him more than all, the bro- all of his brothers, they hated him and could not even speak peaceably, peaceably to him. Now, Joseph had a dream, and when he told it to his brothers, they hated him even more. He said to them, hear this dream that I have dreamed. Behold, we were binding sheaves in the field, and behold, my sheaf." arose and stood upright and behold your sheaves gathered around it and bowed down to my sheaves his brother said to him are you indeed to reign over us or are you indeed to to rule over us so they hated him more for his dreams and for his words then he dreamed another dream and told it to them told it to his brothers and said behold I have dreamed another dream and behold, the sun, the moon, the 11, 11 stars were bowing down to me. But when he told it to his father and his brothers, his father rebuked him and said to him, what this dream you have, you, you have dreamed. Shall I and your mother and your brothers indeed come to bow ourselves to the ground before you? And his brothers were jealous of him. But his father kept the same in mind. If you look up dysfunctional family in, in the dictionary, Joseph and Jacob and their whole family is gonna come up. <laughs> this was dysfunction to the nth degree. Now, I'm not, I don't think there's a, a perfect parent that a, exists. And, and we can all agree on that, right? There's no perfect parents, but Jacob makes a grave mistake and setting aside uh, uh, and putting Joseph up on a pedestal. He set up the whole family conflict in terms of how he favored Joseph. And the the scriptures tell us that not only did he favor Joseph, he was not only his favorite, he loved him more than his other children. Now, here's the thing. And I could tell you as a parent, you love all your kids just the same, but you treat each one of them a little bit different i give you a personal example. You know, Mike and Kayla, I could talk to them in terms of they do something wrong. You know, there were times where we had to spank them, but it got to a point where I could have a conversation with them and they would be bawling, crying, right? So I didn't have, we didn't have to use the rod on them. Now you come to Brandon and Brock, we had to put the rod on them boys. <laughs> you couldn't, use, if you talk to them, it goes in one ear and out the other. We had to put the strap on them to get the point across in terms of disciplining them. And so you love them. They didn't change my love for them. I love all four of my kids equally, all the same, but we had to operate with them and deal with them on, in a different way based on their makeup. Jacob didn't have that in mind. He set this whole thing up to have this family conflict uh, amongst the brothers. By and he, and he set Joseph aside uh, on, a, on a pedestal and gave the brother a special coat. So how you think the rest of his brothers felt <laughs> seeing Joseph strutting around in his coat? You know, and then here was the thing. Joseph didn't do like manual labor. The brothers did all the manual labor. They would be out into the fields, tending the flock taking care of the sheep, the goats, and, and moving the animals to various places for them to feed. It was a lot of work involved. And then Pops, Jacob, would send Joseph out to spy on the boys, basically. And oftentimes he would come back and give a bad report. Basically, Joseph was a snitch. And if you're from the west side, you know what happened to snitches. They get what? stitches. Snitches get stitches. Now, I'm a, that's not biblical. That's not biblical. That's just me talking. That's just that west side, me hanging out on the west side. That, that, that That's coming out a little bit. But bear with me here. Um, so Jacob would send Joseph out to spy on the brothers. And then he comes back with this bad report. And then the dude has the audacity to tell his brothers in a nutshell here that they are one day going to be bowing down to him. Now, can you imagine your younger brother telling you that? Not only did he tell it to his brother, he told it to his dad as well. But the text tells us that that his dad, Jacob, kind of kept it in the back of his mind. He rebuked him, but he's like, hmm, it might be something to that. He favored him that much. But can you imagine your younger brother telling you that one day you are going to be bowing down to him? to him? They resented him for that. Not only did they resent him. It says that they hated him. And this moves us to our next section here in terms of I want to look at the whole valley experience. I want to look at this thing and we want to drop down to uh, verse 18 as this story begins to unfold. And it's pretty salacious. This is something that you would actually see on uh, Netflix, one of those uh, (laughs) TV shows. This thing gets crazy. And I think we oftentimes read this and we really don't comprehend, like, kind of take for granted what was actually happening here. This was some serious dysfunction. We talk about, I know me and my brothers used to fight and not to the point where we want to kill each other. We used to fight all the time and do crazy stuff to one another. Sometimes we would be, if somebody, one of my brothers fell asleep, we would put some kind of. Uh, uh, ketchup or mustard in their hand and we'll tickle their face and you know they slap it and we have a big laugh we were doing stuff like that it wasn't to the level that we'll see as it unfolds in the text here at verse 18 it says this it says they saw him from afar Jacob has sent Joseph out to, to check on the boys again check out to come back and give them a report on what was going on so it says they saw him from afar And before he came near to them, they conspired, they conspired against him to kill him. Isn't that deep? That these brothers, your own flesh and blood is conspiring to kill you. This is some crazy stuff. The text goes on. It says that they they said to one another, Come, here comes this dreamer. Come and let us kill him. And throw him into one of the pits. Then we will say that a fierce animal has devoured him. And we will see what will become of his dreams. Not only did they conspire to kill him, they actually was putting together an alibi. They was going to tell Pops that, hey, a fierce animal had chewed him up. We're going to throw him into this pit. We're going to take this brother out. And here's the thing. I want you to note what they said. They said here. They said, and we will see what will become of his dreams. I want to pause and make sure that we don't miss that. I don't care what comes against you. The the scriptures tell us that no weapon formed against us will prosper. If God has put something inside of you, if God is that his plan is for you to do a certain thing, there's nobody that can stop this, even to the point where they're talking about killing his brother. Nobody, nobody, not a person on the Satan can't touch you. Nobody can't touch you. If God is for you, there's nobody that could be against you. His purpose, his plan is going to be worked out in your life. It might not be exactly how you think it's going to play out, and I'm pretty sure Joseph wasn't expecting this. He wasn't expecting the the hostility from his brothers to to co- culminate in in them conspire to kill him. But it says they said they were trying to kill. Joseph's dream, but thank God, one of the brothers actually had sense. <laughs> Reuben, one of the elder brothers, he said he heard it and he re- he rescued him out of their hands and said, and saying, "Let's not take his life." Reuben said to them, "Shed no blood. Throw him into the pit and into the wilderness, but do not lay a hand on him." That he might rescue him, uh, uh uh rescue him out of their hands and restore him to his father. Reuben was planning to come back. They threw him in a pit. He was gonna come back and rescue Joseph and bring him back to his dad. So Joseph came and his brothers stripped the robe off of him. I can imagine that scene. He comes walking and he's got his robe on and he's, what's going on, guys? Give me the full report. Of what's happening here. It says they ripped the robe off of him. They stripped the brother, the robe of many colors that he wore, and they took him and threw him into the pit. The pit was empty and there was no water in it. Then they sat down to eat. Can hey, you see how evil these brothers were? It's like you throw your brother in the pit, then y'all sit down and have lunch. Like nothing happened. They sit there like, you know, just like, man, this is normal. Now, the text doesn't tell us Joseph's response, but I can imagine that he was pleading with them. Guys, stop playing. I'm going to tell dad. He's not going to be happy about this. Remember what he did last time to you when you all I gave that report last time. Cut it out. But as the time goes on, Joseph. Uh, uh, begins to realize that this these brothers are serious. They 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 really mean to do me harm, and so that that those pleas come. To, okay, guys, I won't say anything. Please let me go. Get me out of here right now. This isn't funny. Don't do this, guys. Don't do this thing. I won't tell dad. As I can imagine, this is what's going through his mind. The text goes on to read. Then they saw, they sat down to eat, and looking up, looking up, they saw a caravan of Ishmaelites. They saw a caravan of Ishmaelites coming from Gilead with their camels bearing gum, ball, myrrh, and they're on their way to carry it down to Egypt. Then Judah said to his brothers, What prophet? Is it for us to kill our brother and conceal his blood? Come, let us sell him to the Ishmaelites. Let let our hand not be upon him, for he is our brother, our own flesh. Now somebody's making sense here. And his brothers listened to him. Then the Midianite traders passed by, and they drew Joseph up and lifted him out of the pit and sold him to the Israelites for 20 shekels of silver. They took Joseph to Egypt. I wanna talk to you a minute about the valley experience. I want you to uh, uh, understand a few things as we move forward in this story. And I'm not uh, sure if I'm gonna finish, I'm gonna go until the Holy Spirit says stop. That could be 30 minutes or that could be three hours. Uh, Pete's the only one laughing, him and Josh. You all are probably at home like, I'm going to leave Zoom. I'm going to click my button and I'm going to leave. <laughs> if it's that bad, concerned. I can't hold you hostage here in the sanctuary. But there's a few things that I want you to understand about the valley experience. When you're thrust into the valley, the first thing I want you to understand is that it's not time for a pity party. Y'all hear what I just said? It's not time for a pity party and, and asking the question, why me? And throwing a whole pity party and, and going around. You ever you ever know, you, you run into individuals like that. They tell you this story and it's, you know, and it's sad and you you, you feel for them. But it's like at some point, you got to be able to move forward. You can't stay there and throw a pity party. The question shouldn't be, why me? The question should be, why not me? Because the scriptures tell us that the rain falls on the just and the unjust. OK, it falls on everybody. And so at some point in life, it's like we're at the peaks, at some point, you're going to be down in the valley. What I'm telling you is that adversity is going to come. It's just a part of living. If you haven't gone through it yet, keep living. You will. I promise you, you will. The second thing that I want you to understand about this valley experience, it's where the Lord gets your attention. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because see, here's the thing. We have a a proclivity to 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 be comfortable and not call on God as much when, when things are going well. When things are going well, it's like, man, you might not pray as much when it's going well when things are going, when the money is coming in and and everybody's doing well, everybody's healthy and and you don't, there's no problems. You're at the peak. You might not be praying as much. You might not be in your word as much, but when calamity strikes, when adversity comes, Oh God, I remember when nine 11 happened, you would have sworn that America was this Christian nation. Everybody was calling on God. Oh God, bless America. And all of this they everybody was going to church, everybody was praying, the numbers had increased because God had got their attention. Through this adversity, things happen where that's where he gets our attention. Things got real for Joseph. I don't know, I'm from the hood. And um my wife hates when I when I when I say this, and Pastor will probably rebuke me for, for this later, but Sometimes you need a little blood in your mouth, you know, to realize that things are real. I see the young man like, what are you talking about? (laughs) Blood in your blood in your mouth. Sometimes. I don't know if you ever been punched, been stolen before. You got hit unexpectedly. I have. I was talking a bunch of smack and this guy just, bam, hit me. Then it got real. I stopped playing. Then things got real for me. The same thing here with Joseph. Things got real for him. And that was culpability with him, Jacob, and the brothers. They all at fault. And we'll we'll look at that a little bit further. But in the valley experience is where God sometimes gets our attention. Also in the valley experience is where God purges those, those bad habits out of us. In the valley experience, he gets our attention. He can purge some of those things, smooth out those rough edges. Now look back at, at, at Joseph, he was a cocky uh, young man. You know, to be able to stand up there and tell your brothers that they are gonna bow down to you and not only tell it to your brothers, but tell it to your dad, he was a little cocky. He didn't have the ability to, to read the room. His people skills needed to be sharpened. You know, you had to know if you're talking, you ever talk to somebody and they have no self-awareness, they come in and say anything at any time no, the, the setting, no matter what the setting is. Anybody know somebody like that? If you don't, it might be you. <laughs> it might be one of y'all. Josh like, it's not me. That's not me. <laughs> but he needed to sharpen his people skills. He had to know that as he's telling his brothers this and I can imagine them as he talking about as he's giving his bad report on them, I'm pretty sure they verbalized their displeasure with him snitching on him. As he was telling them about this dream that he had, I'm pretty sure they probably had their fist balled up. Like, no, this guy didn't. Whose man is this telling telling us that we're going to bow down to him? He couldn't read their facial expressions and understand, so he needed to be sharpened. And in the valley experience, that's where God can take some of those bad habits out of us. Again, to work those things out of us. And I I gotta cut Joseph a little bit of slack. The brother was 17 years old. I remember when I was 17. Some of you all probably can, but I know that I was a rascal. You couldn't tell me nothing when I was 17. I knew everything. Everybody else was crazy. Now, I would listen to you if you wanted to kind of give me some counsel. But at the end of the day, I was going to do things my way. My wife uh, uh, was around back then and she she knew the kind of person I was. Um, But I wouldn't you don't you don't listen. You needed to you needed to have some time to mature. Most of us, you know, my 17 I got a 17 year old right now. He knows everything. He actually knows everything. It's dad mom we don't know anything a very little <laughs> and so he probably like why dad just bust me out why did he just bust me out in front of all these people but it's where uh god begins to take some of that that it's like it's almost like god is a chef and he's he's purging some of those things out of it has to cook you know it has to cook in order for the the the, the dinner to to, to, to be able to come to completion and where we, it's edible, it has to cook. You got to simmer to some of those impurities. Some of those things are worked out of us. And that's what God is doing here with our dear brother Joseph. Also in the Valley experiences where development takes place. You begin to gain skills and various things that you're going to be able to use further down the road. I oftentimes think about Pete Morrison. Pete is always fixing on stuff on his buildings and all of those skills that he gains from doing that, he's able to be a blessing to others. Oh yeah, I've been through that before. I, I, I had that same problem at my place and now I could be able to use those same skills that I gained to minister to somebody else. And when you're in the Valley, it could be a process of development. The other thing you wanna come to understand about the Valley experience is that it's necessary. It's necessary. It would be, uh, if you talk to Joseph, I'm pretty sure he was probably like, Lord, did I have to go through all of this? Did I I have to have my brothers uh, turn on me in order for me to get to where you ultimately want me to be? And we'll see that in the coming chapters. But do I have to go through this adversity? The answer to that is yes. You have to go down into the valley. You got to go down. I heard a pastor say, in order for you to get to a higher level, you got to come down off of that peak and go back down into the valley and then climb a higher mountain. You have to go down into the valley. It's necessary. You have to. There's no other way around, around it. You have to go through some things in the valley. The text goes on to read, I'm going to jump actually over to chapter um, 39. So Joseph gets sold to Potiphar. He winds up being a slave. Uh, The Israelites take him down to Egypt. He's probably, I can imagine, they they got some kind of bidding process. He's standing there, he's bidding, and he actually, Potiphar, purchases Joseph. Joseph goes on to manage Potiphar's affairs. So the text tells us that, now Joseph had been brought down to Egypt, and Potiphar, an officer of Pharaoh, Potiphar was an important man, and the captain of the guard, an Egyptian, had brought him from the Israelites who had brought him down there. The Lord was with Joseph. We're going to see that. And actually, I'm going to pause right there. When you're in the valley, God is there. We're going to see that constantly in the text. It says the Lord was with Joseph. It said the Lord was with Joseph and he became a successful man. He was in the house of the Egyptian master. His master saw that the Lord was with him and that the Lord caused everything that he did to succeed in his hands. So Joseph found favor in his sight and and attended him. And he made him overseer of of his house and put him in charge of all that he had. From that time on, he made him overseer of the house and all that he had. The Lord blessed the Egyptian house for Joseph's sake and the blessing of the Lord was on all that he had in the house and field. So he left and all that he had in Joseph's charge and because of him, he had no concern about anything but the food that he ate. Things were going so well under Joseph's leadership, his, his administrative skills had begin to, to take place and be sharpened in this process of working for Potiphar that Potiphar didn't have to worry about anything. Potiphar realized that the Lord's favor was on Joseph and he made Joseph successful. Can you imagine not having to worry about any of your bills? Having to worry about who's going to plow the snow, who's going to take care of this, who's going to take care of that, who's even going to do the grocery shopping? The only thing that you you wake up and you worried about, what am I going to have for breakfast this morning? What are we going to eat for dinner? That's Potiphar's life. Because of God's hand being on Joseph. Joseph took care of everything. Everything was going well. And and, and here's the thing. When you're in the valley experience, remember I said don't throw a pity party? Just get to work. Joseph made the best of each situation that he was in. I would have still been like, man, I got to figure out a way to get out of here. I'm going to try to run back, get home to my family. The text doesn't tell us any of that. Joseph went to work right where he was. Here's the thing you got to understand. As when you're in those situations. Guess what? You got to be tested. You got to be tested. Things are going to uh, uh, in order for you to move to the next level. You got to be tested. And the test comes because the text tells us now Joseph was handsome in form and appearance. Meaning that the brother was built, he was easy on the eyes, a handsome dude. And why is that significant? Because of Potiphar's wife. Here comes the test. And after a time, this is verse seven, his master's wife cast her eyes. On Joseph and said lie with me but he refused and said to his master's wife behold my master has made me uh my master has no concern about anything in this house and he has put everything that he has in my charge he is he is not greater in this house than I am nor has he kept anything from me except you because you're his wife How can I do this great wickedness and sin against God? He didn't say sin against Potiphar. He said sin against God. This brother passed the test with flying colors. I give him an A, A, A plus. His brother said, hey, how can I do this wicked thing? God has blessed me. And and, yo, yo, my master has nothing to worry about. I'm in a good situation here. I cannot do this thing and sin against God. You think the story would end there? She would get the point. This sister was relentless. The text goes on to tell us that she she was chasing Joseph every single day. Everywhere she went, she was jumping out on Joseph. Hey, Joseph which you, you hey, hey, every day she was after the brother, chasing him, and he rebuked her every day. Nope, nope, I'm not doing, I'm not going to do this thing. But in verse 11, it tells us, but on one day when he was in the house to do the work, and none of the men were in the house there with him, uh, was there in the house, she caught him by his garment, Saying lie with me But he left his garment in his hand And fled and got out of the house And as soon as she saw that he had left his garment in her hand um, And he had fled out of the house She called to the men of the household and said to them See he brought among us a Hebrew to laugh at us He came in to, to lie with me and I cried out with a loud voice. She came up with this phony story, and now he's falsely accused. And I looked, I was wondering in my, just my sanctified mind, I'm wondering, Potiphar, uh, Potiphar really knew his wife. This is just me talking. (laughs) I'm wondering if Potiphar really knew his his wife. It's like, wait a minute. And he's looking, but if, if somebody tells you, your wife is saying that this man did this thing you, your your staff is probably looking at you and they're going, hey, she got the man's garment. The evidence looked this way, but, but not Joseph, not, not my guy. He couldn't, I don't think he would do something. Why would he do something like that? But the text tells us that Potiphar bought her story and that Joseph goes on to be thrown into prison. All those, uh, uh, the administrative skills and things that he had learned, you know, in managing Potiphar's household, all the good things that he had done. So probably thinking like, I did all that. God used me to bless his whole household. And this man turns on me like this. And he winds up in a worse situation. Potiphar had him put in prison. Had the brother put in prison. But notice what the text said. It says, and the keeper. Um, as soon as the master heard the words that his wife spoke to him. This is the way your servant is treated. His anger and uh, is, was kindled and Joseph's master took him and put him into prison. The place where the king's prisoners were. And was there in the prison. But the Lord was what? With Joseph. And he showed him steadfast love and gave him favor in the sight of the keeper of the prison. The keeper of the prison put Joseph in charge of all the prisoners who were in the prison. Whatever was done there, he was uh, the one who did it. The keeper of the prison paid no attention to anything that was in Joseph's charge because the Lord was with with him and whatever he did, the Lord may succeed. I don't know if you all have ever been in jail. Hope not. Um, I've worked uh, doing pest control in uh, Cook County prison. And I've seen uh, some of the the people that are there. It's it's real, some of those, those, they have like different divisions where it's like maximum security, minimum, and all these different levels there. And what have you, based on the division that you're in, and the characters that are in those places, man, it could get real crazy. Uh, Doug could tell you we we would be going there, and they would be yelling out and trying to reach through the bars and just screaming, and sometimes people are spitting and going crazy. It's pretty it's pretty crazy. So I can imagine some of you know uh, 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 of the guys that were under Joseph's care in the prison. But it says that the, the 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 prison guard didn't worry about anything because Joseph was taking care of it and managing those people. I mentioned all this because this was further development of Joseph's people skills. Remember how he dealt with his brothers and, and he was lacking in that area? Now I'm gonna put you in this position where you, you, you're overseeing all the prisons in this guard, in this, in, in this uh prison. Uh, you're gonna get maximum training on a level that you couldn't even imagine. So this was putting him in a position where it was sharpening his people skills, his administrative skills. He was no longer gonna have the the inability to read the room. He could look at those facial expressions and how folks were carrying on. He would be able to, to look back on his situations with his brother and he would be able to handle it a different way. He was in development. God was doing something in that brother. As we look at the text, there was a situation with a couple of the king's staff, the butler and the cupbearer. They had fallen out of favor with the the, the, uh, king, and he put them actually in prison, right? They're thrown into prison. And it says, it says here, the cupbearer of the the king of Egypt and his baker committed. We're looking at chapter 40 against the Lord, committed an offense against the Lord, king of Egypt. And Pharaoh was angry with these two officers and the chief cupbearer and the baker. And he put them in custody in the house of the captain of the guard, put them in prison where Joseph was confined. The captain of the guard appointed Joseph to be with them and he attended them and they, can, they continue for some time in custody. Then to kind of kind of rap summarizes thing, they both have dreams. Joseph actually interprets the dreams for both of these guys. And he told, he told the uh the cupbearer, hey, you're gonna be restored. The baker, it's not gonna go well for you. You're gonna actually be killed, uh, basically in three days. Gave him the bad news, but he told he told the cupbearer, he said, "Hey, when you get out, when you get out of here, um, remember me. I'm innocent. I was falsely accused, and everything. I am, I am innocent. So, so remember me when you restore to your position." But guess what happened? He got out. He forgot all about his promise to to Joseph. He was so, probably so excited to be free and consumed back with his, be back in his position, he forgot all about Brother Joseph. The king has a dream. King has a dream that nobody can interpret. And he had this dream, um, and then Joseph actually comes to mind with the cupbearer. He comes to mind the comes and, come and says, hey, that was a Hebrew guy that interpreted my dream and uh, the banker's dream and and what have you. So they, they had Joseph come. Joseph came and interpreted the dream for the king, Pharaoh. Told him that, hey, there was going to be seven years of plenty. Then there was going to be seven years of famine. This is what your dream means, king. This is what's about to transpire. This is what's going to happen. You're going to have seven years of plenty. Then there's going to be a great famine that's going to sweep the land. The king said, man, so what should we do? He said, man, I need to find somebody that that could help organize and, and position us to be able to store the grain through the years of plenty, to be able to move this thing. Who better would, would there be a person to take on this job? Ding, 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 Joseph. And he makes Joseph in charge of all of Egypt. He's second in command, but under he, the only person that's above him is the king. And now his administrative skills, all those things that he learned along the way, all those things are now come put to work. All those things. And then there's a, we won't be able to to get to this. And maybe I'll do a part two. But Joseph is positioned to orchestrate all of the administrative things that needed to happen in order to store the grain. He was so shrewd and he was selling grain to, to different people, different areas. People would come to him and he was purchasing land. His business skills were, were sharpened. All of those things had come to pass in terms of the development of all those years that he was in the valley. He used all of those things. And God used him to save All of Egypt saved the land, but he had to go through the valley experience. I don't know what your valley experience is right now. I don't know what you're going through right now, but I want to tell you one thing is that God is with you just as he was with Joseph. God is with you through every step of the way. When you feel like you're alone, and you're wrestling in, in your situation and you, you don't see a way out of this thing and, and you feel like nobody's reaching out to you. I'm here to tell you that God is there. Second thing I want you to understand is that there is a purpose to your adversity. There's a purpose to it. Every time I'm going through something, a a, a difficult situation, oftentimes I'm asking God, I'm saying, Lord, what are you trying to say to me through this? What are you trying to teach me through this whole thing? Lord, what's what's the meaning of this? And I could go back sometimes and look at certain situations and go, man, I got it. I I remember I shared this with Pete last night. And I know some of you might remember this, or some of you you may or may not. Uh, we were at a marriage retreat um, one year, and there was a young couple that was there, uh, and they were struggling. I mean, struggling. They, they, they were hanging on by a thread. My maracas said, hold on. Or oh, they was they was hanging on, man. You could you could see it. And as we were dialoguing and we had discussion time, they were sharing how. They, they had just lost the baby. And they were trying to figure out the husband didn't know how to how to minister to her. And the, the the wife was in such anguish and despair. And she was like, Man, you could just see it. It was a real sad situation. And as the days progressed, as we moved through the marriage retreat, on one session, there was a couple there named the Digsby's. The Digsby's uh, um stood up and they said, We went through exactly what you're going through. And I don't know exactly word for word what they said. And it was tears flowing in the room. I don't know how many remember this, uh, but there was tears flowing. And the Digsbys were able to minister to that couple because that couple got a chance to see an older couple that had been through something exactly where they were and how God worked in their lives. And they were able to get through it. Now, I can't tell you that that was the purpose of the Digsby's losing their their child. But I could tell you on that day that their experience, their adversity allowed them to minister to that couple that nobody else could. Because it's one thing if if I said, oh man, I could quote some scripture and i say, I'm gonna pray for y'all. It's a whole nother thing when I could say, we've been through, I've been through that very situation. I like to say you. So, so those those moments of adversity, God uses that to position us to minister to other people. Now, yeah, you might say, "Man, I Lord, can you do it another way? Is there there there? Do I have to go through the valley? Is it a certain way? I don't know what you're going to be confronted with. I know a lot of people uh, usually at the beginning of the year you." You kind of say uh, uh, you have New Year's resolution. I'm glad 23 is over with. You don't know what 24 is going to bring. It's off to a a crazy start right now. So I'm telling you all, just have perspective as you're going through the various challenges. There's one thing that you're, you're definitely in control of is your attitude, your perspective, and how you respond. And kind of, instead of throwing a pity party, he said, Lord, what are you trying to teach me through this whole thing? Lord, what are you doing? I know you're doing something. He's not standing by doing anything. He's God of the valley. He's present right there. He's working in your life. And, and unfortunately, you have to go through it. I don't know where you all are. I'm going to wrap this thing up. I don't know where you are right now in terms of your Valley experience, but God is there. God is doing something. He's present. He wants to get you to a place where he can use you on a level that you probably can't even see right now. He's doing some things behind the scene, working in your life. I wanna challenge you to embrace the Valley experience and really focus on what God is doing uh, things could look real hopeless right now. You don't see a way out, but he's doing something, I promise you, in your valley experience. Let's go before the Lord in prayer. Father God, I thank you for your word. Thank you for uh, even the valley experience in knowing that you're working behind the scenes in your people to accomplish your work. I pray right now that you would touch the saints where they are. Help them to have the right, help us to have the right perspective. Help us to uh, stay focused on you when we're in the midst of of challenging situations. God, help us to embrace it to the point where we, we squeeze all that you're trying to do in that particular situation out of it in terms of experience so that you position us to be a blessing to others like the Digsbys. Father, if there's somebody here watching or in this sanctuary that doesn't know you as Lord and Savior, they will languish in the valley. They won't be able to get out. They don't have any hope uh, without having a personal relationship with you. So I pray for that individual, individuals right now, Lord, that all they have to do is cry out to you, uh, believe that you died on the cross for their sins, the blood of your son was shed, all they have to do is repent and believe that you are God, that you sent your son to die on the cross and that he rose three days later, and they Will have eternal life. They will have a relationship with you. Nothing mystical. It's not hard. It's dying to yourself and realizing that, hey, I can't, I can't save myself. It's only through you. So I pray for that individual, Lord, those individuals that are there, that you would speak to their heart. I thank you for this time in Jesus' name. Amen.